Welcome to the Marvell Essential Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Benuelos. On today's episode, jump in on a conversation with Todd Owens, Field Marketing Director, and Nishant Loda, Director of Product Marketing, Emerging Technologies. Today, they discuss the key things you need to know about storage performance numbers. Learn more about some of the metrics most commonly used when people refer to storage performance, how storage figures are derived, and how performance figures drive future decisions, as well as an in-depth discussion when it comes to IOPS. To stay up to date on future episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the Marvell Essential Technology Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Todd Owens. I'm the field marketing director here at Marvell, and I work with uh, our customers, our partners on a variety of different technologies. And one of those that I focus in on is the area of storage networking. And joining me today is Nishant Loda, who's our director of emerging technologies in our storage connectivity business unit. Nishant's in charge of our, our lab efforts, but also works extensively with customers and uh, our ecosystem partners in the real world to define the performance criteria you know, that we're really going to see end-to-end in, in our storage networking environment. In fact, uh, he recently wrote a, a white paper called uh, Real World Expectations from Fiber Channel HPAs that you'll find in the uh, show notes here on this podcast. Hey, Nishant, welcome. Thank you, Todd. Good to be here. There is a lot of confusion out there about storage performance metrics, a lot of misleading stuff, just downright confusing stuff. And I'm glad we are having this this conversation. And I've spent over two decades looking at storage performance from all different angles, work with customers. So just, just looking forward to this conversation between you and me. Let's get right into it. You know, what are some of the metrics that people look to most commonly when it comes to storage performance? If you look at tier one metrics, things that are most important to the most number of people, you can call them kind of bandwidth or throughput and IOPS or latency, right? And just quickly defining them out for, for our audience here, right? Bandwidth is a measure of uh, the data transfer rate. The faster, the better, right? Uh, IOPS, or people call as input-output operations per second, is kind of like the number of reads and writes you can you can do per second, more the merrier, right, in general. Latency, I would call that as a measure of time taken to actually complete these read or write operations, and definitely lower is better. And I would say, you know, um, think of these in, in the context of an airplane, right? Uh, latency is how quickly your passengers can board the plane and deplane, and IOPS is the passenger capacity of the plane, and the bandwidth is the speed of the plane. Well, that makes sense. And, you know, those numbers get uh, thrown around a lot in a lot of different areas. I see them published in, in a variety of different documents. I see them published in blogs and in all kinds of different places. But how does a customer really need to approach the area of storage performance? What are some of the things that they should look at? I call the three big things, right, in my opinion, that that customers, partners, vendors, solution architects, uh, storage array admins, and, uh, you know, storage fabric managers all need to look at is a couple of things. Like first, A, remember that data sheet figures, the performance numbers that vendors cite in data sheets, they are achieved under ideal 
lab conditions where it may or may not be achieved in the real world. So it's super important. Number two, and number two, I think is is the point that almost everybody misses, which is that we all need to look at uh, things beyond a single device. It is paramount to understand that uh, you know there is a whole end-to-end storage infrastructure, and every component plays into what you get. A lot of people are just focused on looking at one device and one device's performance. That's often leading them in the wrong direction, right? Third and finally, the most important is sometimes it helps to do a proof of concept, right? In your own lab, set up a real world environment, set up the applications and actually look at how things function. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into the uh, reality of of these performance numbers. You know, you're part of the the team that does a lot of the deep dive analysis on our IO technology and stuff. And manufacturers like ourselves, we publish some pretty amazing performance figures for our products. You know, how are those typically derived? What what, what happens to to get those numbers, those data sheet numbers, as you said? So, Todd, you want to know how the sausage is being made? Well, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Uh, Most published performance numbers, like I said, I derive from a lab setting, which is done under ideal conditions. The objective is to showcase the highest performance that one specific device can achieve, uh, assuming there are no other bottlenecks and restrictions. And these tests are often done using artificial load generators and not real-world applications. I like to call them as hero numbers because they turn heads they make product shine, but little else. And you'll find them all over in data sheet and sponsored collateral. Oh, so that that's kind of like the speedometer on my truck, right? It says 140 miles an hour, but there's not a chance in heck that my truck's going to go that fast. Well, maybe downhill with a hurricane blowing behind me. Who knows? But uh, so that's like some of those published numbers that don't always uh, make sense, you know? And even if my truck did go 140 miles an hour, you know, what good's that going to do me you know, on my local streets with my speed limits and all the other good things. So so your point is good that you're trying to make a number that makes your particular product stand out. But when I go to use that product, there's a whole bunch of other things in the environment that I need to consider, right? Absolutely, Todd. And a good great point on, on your high-speed car or truck and whether you can actually drive it uh, at that speed. And I, I'll, I'll give you another kind of case in point. I, I recently saw one fiber channel HVA vendor publish uh, a paper saying that device clocked 10 million IOPS, okay? Uh-huh. A huge number in a test, which if you look deeper, actually required 24 different RAM-based targets and they had to throw in 72 physical CPU cores and half a terabyte of RAM, right? All of this is, nothing can be further from reality on this, right? This is your 140, 60 mile speedometer. Stuff like this you know, makes my blood pressure go up and I look at this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you. That's absolutely not... A, a typical kind of configuration that any customer would actually be deploying. Who can imagine deploying that many cores just to drive one I/O uh, stream? And it's just it's just not reality. You know, when it comes to uh, storage, you've got to consider all the elements that are in the data path. It's not just about what the HPA can do, right? What can the switches do? What can the storage device do? And all of those, and, and it even goes back to the OS, right? What what happens in the kernel? what happens with the application. So all of those different elements add up. Again, it's like me driving my car. No matter how fast it goes, I've got to obey the laws. I've got particular types of streets I can drive on and those kind of things. So how does that relate in the the storage world? What what is your perspective on all those different elements and and the role that they play? 
So I think uh, first of all, I would say, Todd, I think you're hitting the right point here. I think it is key for customers to understand that there is an impact of every single device uh, out there that is in your data path, so to speak, on, on the overall performance. And, uh, you know, all of this starts with the realization that the real world is not a lab and hence not ideal. In fact, I would call it far from ideal. And uh, like you said, you know, um, it is the realization that an I.O., which is a read or write operation, actually travels to various different components. You mentioned a switch and a storage array, um, what we call as a data path. And each one of the, these contribute, or I should rather say, impede the performance and time to destination. Right? Uh, take an often talked about example, which is latency. Right? Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are touting that their HBAs uh, have, say, 20% lower latency right, across generations. Great, isn't it? Let's just hand them our credit card and get that 20% uh, less latency, right? <laughs> Sounds no, good. No, not until you actually do the math, right? Because uh, the contribution that these HPAs, especially fiber channel from this vendor, have to the overall latency is very, very very small, right? A faster HBA might save you a few microseconds in what typically takes a few milliseconds to complete in an end-to-end storage array. That doesn't mean much, right? And, you know, most of the latency in an end-to-end storage array actually comes from, like you said, operating some stack, the storage media. So, Todd, if you think about, you know, the nauseating acceleration of an electric car, will that get you from San Francisco to L.A. faster? I don't think so, right? We live and our IOs live in the real world. Uh, at least we are not in the metaverse last time I checked. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, what's that? So 20% of 1% isn't much when you look at the end-to-end uh, performance figures. Absolutely. What about, what about the IOPS numbers? The, the input-output processes per second. Where does that fit into the equation? Well, actually, this one is worse. I mean, it's worse understood than latency. See above the story of 10 million IOPS, right? Uh, well, there are two important things about IOPS to remember and to consider. First of all, uh, IOPS by themselves don't mean anything until you know what is the size of that IO on which this performance is being claimed. So the right question is, IOPS at what block size, my dear vendor, right? Uh, number two is knowing your application, right? Uh, what is its IO size profile? What are its needs? For example, databases, file servers, web applications. In fact, an overwhelmingly huge majority of applications don't need more than a few hundred thousand IOPS, if at all that much. And those IO sizes are typically eight kilobyte or larger. That's the most misunderstood part of the IOPS number is it is completely dependent on that block size. And, you know, the hero numbers are always done at what's called 512 byte blocks. I can't think of any applications in the real world that actually run that. Uh, like you said, they're all at 8K or better. So that's, that's the key element is that IOPS and block size are absolutely joined at the hip. There is a, a lot of vendors, like you mentioned, who claim these millions of IOPS at irrelevant block sizes like 512 bytes. Uh, I call that uh, straight off like dark stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It can be some dark stuff, especially in some of the third party reports that we see out there, too, where they build these perfect environments like the one you mentioned earlier and all the cores and all the storage targets that are needed. OK, so I I see that, you know, this the uh, the IOPS are important, but they you need to understand the block size. How do I how do I go about you know doing 
the POC part of this, right? I really need to test it in my environment, but I can't always make a, a, a test site look like the real world environment. So what are your, what are your coaching around that when I'm, when I'm do, actually testing the product in my environment? At some point of time, you want to get to the bottom of things, right? In fact, the, the step before that is uh, figuring out what's right, what's wrong, what are the uncomfortable questions that you need to ask your vendors about uh, latency instead of asking the question around latency, ask about end-to-end latency instead of asking the question about IOPS, talk about uh, IOPS at a specific block size. Second, you know, sometimes you need to invest in a proof of concept, uh, you know, use the equipment and the application that you would actually expect to deploy in production and actually measure what the performance can be. Sometimes start, there is no substitute to getting your hands dirty. Right. No, I totally agree. But even POCs, right, you have to be a little bit careful because your real world isn't necessarily as static as your POC environment. Can you expand on that just a little bit? Yeah, a lot of customers that I talk to are challenged that POC, again, depicts uh, a static environment, uh, but a real-world environment actually is is evolving. It moves from time of day, from situational, from congestion. And, you know, we all seek the mantra to get to consistent performance, but uh, yeah. it is one of the hardest problems to solve to build a system that is intelligent enough to react to the unknown and not uh, overreact to paranoia, it is quite a challenge. I, I would say that uh, we at Marvell within the you know, QLogic Fiber Channel team are on a mission to solve this. We call this our stored fusion technology, right. but um, details in another part, I would say. Well, I really appreciate your expertise in the discussion today and look forward to having another conversation with you soon. Good talking, Todd. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Marvel Essential Technology Podcast. As always, please feel free to visit our website to learn more, and we'll see you on the next episode.